morning and welcome to your daily game face. My head was down and I'm Dr. Kim Lannon and I'm here with Lou Blasey and I'm sorry that I'm late this morning, y'all. There's been... I should tell you I pointed, so... Did you? I, <laughs> no, I, you would have no way of knowing. I wasn't looking because yeah. I was looking at my phone because yep. today has been a morning. Yep. And we're late because one... I had to rearrange what I was doing this morning because my guest was unable to show. So we we're going to reschedule in the future, which happens in showbiz, so oh, to God, speak, yes. all the time. This is like the third time this stuff has happened. Yeah. Not with him, but so Dave is not available this morning. So um, we're moving along. Onto it's C at best onto, even money. Unless onto, somebody's selling something. Right. On to Cincinnati. If they're selling something, they show up. Mm. That's a, if that's they're not, a, it's a 50-50 shot. shot. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I had to regroup that this morning. But on the other hand, on the, on the other hand, I'm a little scattered because um, I don't know. What did you say a few minutes ago? The world is oh, like, unnecessary. Hard. Oh, what you said, you know, the world is like off right oh, now. Oh, it's a like very it's, low vibe. Yeah, the low, low vibe. frequency. Everything so, is low frequency. So I came in and this I'm morning. not, which is a pain in the ass. You're not on low frequency. I'm not on low frequency, but it's is that why dragging me down. Is that oh? So I came in this morning, and I think I <laughs> might have dropped a few expletives <laughs> as I came in and out twice. Yes, because I was running late and whatever. So, on top of which is fine that Dave isn't here, but on top of that, Mush, my lovely oh, child, yeah. who um, I just came back from my. Uh, wildcat sanctuary um weekend you could have put mush through college at this point uh twice twice <laughs> mush is back in the emergency room because he had a diabetic um shock incident yesterday and i wasn't even home five seconds before that happened yep. so we've had that going on and then this morning at least he waited for you thanks well, well, well there's that and then and then um you know the, the whole show today is now going to be on it would be before all this stuff happened this morning because that was just normal stuff. Yep. But then, because that happens, right? But then there was like a, a litany of like four or five other things that happened that just put me into a space. But the show was going to be on eight ways to be optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to regroup my head into eight ways to be optimistic, to follow my own. That's why we're running late because I had to take 10 minutes to, <laughs> to regroup myself to be in my mode of eight ways to be optimistic. And, and, and not be bothered by the fact that if I get called bruh one more time by a 19-year-old, I might have my head spit off my bruh. body. Bruh. I mean, who's who, I'm not your bruh. I'm no. not your bra either. I'm no. not your bro, your bruh, your bra. I'm just none of those things. Uh, the maturity level. It's an interesting age, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure I've ever had a that age person call me that 14, 15, but uh, but that was just one of the things of the many on the list. That was just the last thing that happened before I walked no, in the door. See, that would bother me, and I don't know why it would bother me so much. That particular that's just yeah. a, see, that's just on my list. It would just happen to be oh, the last thing on the list. So it's sticking closer to the things that are here and present to be yeah. optimistic about. I'm like, where in your maturity level are you 19 years old working in the medical field and calling me bruh. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and like what what dimension? I I feel like I'm in the that twilight. That put me zone. over the edge. That's see, you're <laughs> feeling my pain. Yeah. You knew coming in today too, as I said, I'm coming in hot. <laughs> I'm coming in hot. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, good morning. I'm like, oh, and then on top of that, uh -oh. I got back and we're we're like 90 degrees out. We were we were ninety degrees in Minnesota, and it's night. It was ninety four on Sunday. Was it? 
It was 90 yeah. on Monday. Now we're here. <laughs> back in 90. yesterday. I don't even remember yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday was in the emergency room yeah. with a cat. Huh, yeah. um, but today I'm allergied up. Did you run I'm... into your friend? Which friend? In the emergency room, the, the girl? No. No? No. She was, I didn't see her. Thank God. The triage nurse? The triage nurse. No. Feline triage. I didn't see her. That would be I... a business card, wouldn't it? Feline triage. Yeah. Feline triage. I think she needs... Can you imagine if she was a bartender? <laughs> <laughs> well, was, you know, know she... in a way, that kind of explains a lot of things. Oh God! So anyway, I'm I'm on a roll this morning. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will say, "You're always so happy and optimistic." Look, <laughs> no, see, that's what people don't get. They they don't get that that's a constant struggle. It, well, I don't they know think you they... you adapt an attitude and and that's all it is. But sometimes you have to fight with it. Well. I, I, I'll be honest. I typically have an even keel of like chill. I wouldn't say, you know, I don't like to use the word happy, but right. chill. Right. Right. But you but, work at it. It doesn't, I, it's yeah. just not there. Right. I'm always like yeah. checking and balancing, just yeah. like I teach people how to do that and making sure. Right. But today, oh, today, <laughs> today is a different day. So I'm trying to mm, regroup that. So everyone should reschedule their appointments with you today <laughs> <laughs> oh that will not go well no i've already had well i've already had a couple of those start this morning not reschedules but people already texting me about i mean i wasn't even gone last wednesday for their appointments and so it wasn't like a wednesday like miss right so yep. but i'm already having people this morning texting me about how how the session is going to go today and what they need to talk about i'm like Ugh. and i'm like i just want to cancel the day but i won't can i give my unnecessary hard speech at this point yes i would love we will talk about the unnecessary hard please and, do and that my kids are rolling their eyes not knowing why at this point because uh, they heard it so much from me it's like there's so much necessary hard there's so many things we have to deal with can we just not make it harder for people don't help me just don't work against me Exactly. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. See, need that's you. why I knew. I don't you need had your my, help. That's why I knew yeah. you had my back this morning. Like my unnecessary hard was unnecessary because I was able to just text you at six fifty five this morning <laughs> and start complaining. It's all right, I didn't get it till late, so <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, thanks. That's yeah. why you didn't respond. But I was fine yeah. once I put it out into the universe to you. I knew it would be okay. Yeah. You know. But yes, unnecessary hard. Why make things more unnecessarily hard? Speaking of, we're supposed to be a team. This is about this is about team sports. This is why sports are so great. Yes, it's like you can tell people who haven't been on a team and people who have been, because mm -hmm. the people who haven't been on a team are making the unnecessary hard. That is such a good point because even though people will roll their eyes at that, it's like yeah. if you don't know what it's like to have to be really functioning as a whole team, you're not going to function as a whole family, and you're certainly yeah. going to individually struggle. And I would agree with that analogy. I don't think, I think just anecdotally, people who have had their life struggles who have never been on a team would roll their eyes at that because they yeah. don't know what it's like to have right. that experience. Therefore, they don't know the, how to make that leap. But for sure, like not having that mentality um, trained into you early is, is. Well, it's such a valuable lesson. Right. And, you know, it's just being part of something. And that, that's something that teenagers struggle with, being part of something. Because it's it's spotlight effect, right? I mean, well, at that yeah. age, you think everything's about you, and yeah. But that by the time by the time you're almost twenty, that spotlight effect should have run its course. Yeah. Typically, yeah. Usually, I mean, spotlight effect is usually roughly around twelve to sixteen oh, okay. ish, and then people who are sort of delayed or in a little bit more immature will go a little bit longer. But when you're closer to the twenty year mark than you are to the eighteen year mark, or you're right in between, it should be gone almost. Yeah. I mean, 
truly. But we're all working here. Just help out. I mean, again, <laughs> don't even help out. Just don't make it harder. Exactly. Yeah. Let's be optimistic. Yeah. So, well, so. I don't need positive. Just don't give me negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's the 50-50 balance split, right? Yeah. So, so I am going to talk about how to be optimistic after I get past this <laughs> first part of this morning. But well, wait first, a second. Is it part of that oh, processing, by the way? Which what I did this morning Which we're doing? You? No. Part of being optimistic, part of oh. getting to that point is processing whatever it is that's troubling you. Yes. And that's what we're doing. Well, I'm processing it, but I'm not really processing it because I'm not talking about it directly. <laughs> yeah. See, you're laughing like that because you know exactly what yeah. is going on in my head because I just told you all the things yeah. and you know exactly what you know I want to say, but I can't on air. Yeah. So let's go to what I was going to talk about in in short. Yeah. Okay. It will still be in there because it will be in my brain. But yeah. so the first thing I was going to talk about today, even though... um, um were in this mode was the fact that I have had a couple things come up and I figured, okay, what's a better place to go than stuff that happens in my practice, right? That comes up. And, um, and I just got a new referral yesterday again for someone who's having a, met, uh, a medical diagnosis, um, which I get a lot of because of, you know, doing the integrated medical practitioner mm -hmm. part of my stuff, a medical diagnosis that they're really struggling with. They don't have a lot of people around them and they're in the medical field. Oh, and, yeah. um, and, and, they, I don't know this person yet, but what I'm, what I was going to talk about initially was how many people I have in my practice. And it's probably because I know you're going to ask me, what would you say the statistics are and how many people do the work? It's about how many people do the work versus who doesn't. People often will come in looking for a silver bill, bullet. Yep. And so if you follow my Facebook feed from last week, I, or maybe a week or two ago now, I posted up a thing about essentially, um, you know, if you are, um, if you, you know, are committed to something and today and three days from now, essentially you're back to what you yep. were doing. You remember the post, right? Yeah. Like, what are you doing essentially? So don't blame the don't, activity that you didn't do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, if you want results, you can't, you yeah. can't get the results you didn't work for. And if you're committed on today, here's, you know, Wednesday. And then by Saturday, you have forgotten what you committed to and have mm. bypassed it. And then you go right back to the same old behavior. Then you have a problem. So I anticipate with this new client starting and then, you know, I'm always optimistic about the fact that I'm going to have someone who's motivated to work because they're seeking it, um, which is usually pretty high up there that if they are seeking out the help for the specific reason that like the referral came in is this person in this medical field is looking for help because they have this very specific diagnosis and they're having a hard time getting people support around them around how to ha handle themselves. Yeah. Um, so that was really specific as a referral that I was getting. Um, so I have high hopes for that. Um, now it's when I have people um, around me that will have this moment of, okay, I have something really bad. I'm not talking like stub your toe, break your, you know, finger. What, you know, those right. are, those count. we're talking like right. life changing events that without the work to put in the change could eventually lead to your death essentially. Right. You can't expect that on, on a Tuesday, you're going to get that. And then by Friday you do, you do something different for three days. And then now right. we're back to the same. Right. So it's very frustrating as a treater uh, or as a family member or a friend to be able um, to watch that happen. So, and so people have been asking me both internally in the practice in my family work and also in outside, like, how do you manage it when that happens? And so when it, it's, a, it's a sort of same answer is that, you know, you can only give advice and give 
that so long. So you just you just know that you're there for someone with love, but so that you don't get pulled. This is what we were talking about before. You know, it's very frustrating when you're trying to help someone and they can't and won't help themselves. And so you can't offer anything because you're stuck or you're out of control. You're out of the control of yep. being able to do anything to change it. You have to be able to back yourself away from it. And that doesn't mean leave the person because obviously my clinical practice, I'm not going to back out, but I'm certainly going to be upfront and honest. If you're going to do no work or little work and I'm doing more of the work, I'm not doing, I'll sit and listen to you, yep. but I'm not going to invest into. So I have, I have a, uh, a husband and wife team in my practice right now. And the husband's really trying to get the wife to stop drinking soda um, and stop eating. She has a donut every morning and they're trying to not have their child want those things too. Yeah. And she's overweight and she's smoking and she's got a whole litany of issues. She's just be, uh, diagnosed with diabetes and all these no, things. Yeah. And he's really trying to help her. And every time he's with me, he's like in tears because he loves her and doesn't know, but he's so overly invested. Right. Not, he's not, it's not that he, I say, it's not that you don't love her. You can love her, but you're overly investing into fixing versus just being able to put a perspective on it that you can't change this unless the person wants to change. And the want isn't driven by just want. It has to be that the pain, and this is the thing about like addiction, right? Food addiction, addiction for anything. The pain has to be great enough emotionally and or physically or both for that one person and they have to hit a bottom and you never can tell people always say right. what's the bottom i don't know everybody everybody's bottom is different say that five times fast <laughs> right but you have to hit that emotional and physical bottom to scare you and sometimes you would think that a scare unfortunately would be scary enough because i know i've seen people um over the 27 years of doing this that have hit what I would have been like, this is the bottom. Right. This is going to change. But now when people ask me, um, like, do you think that was his bottom? Do you think that was, I'm like, probably not. I, mean, no I am like, probably not because yeah. it, the, you know, I've had clients that have, you know, been in a drug addiction, um, got themselves in a lot of trouble with both medical and, um, law. And because the law over just overlooked it and was like slap on the wrist and then medically they sort of bounce back within yep. two days. That's the, that's the, okay, I'm, I, I'm okay. I don't have to do, oh my God, I'm scared. I, right. you know, it was orig originally like, I'm dying. I'm going to be in trouble. This is going to cost me everything. And then right back to, oh, we're going to do it again. So they're tempting the fate. So it's hard because what do you do as a family member, a friend, or even a, a doctor like I am to help someone. You give people what you can in terms of compassion and empathy and and in my case, straight shooter, right? I'm yep. gonna I'm never gonna sugarcoat. I'll I'll be nice, but I'm not gonna just be like, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, you know, I'm gonna be like, hey, these behaviors are likely to lead to blah, 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 whatever it is, right? So if someone's not doing the techniques or the work or the investment in themselves, why am I investing yeah. to do the work for them? I'll give you all the tools, but I can't make you do them. It's frustrating. It's very hard, which is what you were saying before we started the show. You said that one of the hardest things is to watch people parent when you want to pa help parent something and you see the, what's going wrong, but it's not, it's not. Bottom, bottom accepted. is where priorities change. Mm -hmm. That's the sign, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when the priority is no longer the vice, right. whatever it is, donuts or cigarettes or drinking or whatever, whatever it, is. it is and the priority is um a lot of times kids are involved in that 
sometimes when you have kids, it's like, I can't do this. I right. got to be, I got to be there for my kid. So your priority ladder changes a little bit. Well, that's, that's what so signals I, bottom. I, I think one of the, so, so that's an interesting sort of separate thing is when people, so, so let's look at addiction for a second, even though that wasn't what we were on, but addiction, people often have children and yeah. think that they'll change it. And sometimes it, that does happen, but that's just not, first of all, that's not ever a good reason to have children because oftentimes they get caught in the crossfire of an addiction that won't stop. But then also um, the, you, it's never, it's never the guarantee of, it really has to come from within. And I warn people about that, that like, cause I have clients, plenty of them said, you know, having children changed my life in terms of those yeah. things. Well, it's nowhere near a hundred percent, but oftentimes that's part of the story. It's, it's, so, yes. Yeah. But the bottom, but the bottom for probably people, not even the majority. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's not the majority, but the yeah. bottom for people for whatever change it is they're trying to make, whether it's a dissatisfied job position or it's their weight, it's eating, it's drinking. I mean, it's such a it's such a gamble. Literally, there's another one, right? <laughs> it's another it's such a gamble with what will actually change that person and what it will take. I mean, I've seen. I've seen someone crash their car, not seen it, but I've seen, heard, they crashed their car into a tree, should have died. Yeah. Thank God they didn't. Vow for two or three weeks of never touching anything again. And we're right back at it. Yeah. And they could have lost everything. And they got protected about it. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, well, okay, what's the priority? And they have children. And they have right, and then that was what they use as their example of like, well, I will be able to, I will be able to um, make this change because I don't want to like leave the world and leave my children. But then again, goes back to the commitment that you made today for the behavior that happened that got you to where you are today. You can't forget three days from now that that still is there. But with it's you're still you're still going to have the issue if you don't change the the symptom of the problem. And the symptom is either the drinking, the eating, the um, gambling, the shopping, the whatever it is. It's still the problem. But we have to separate separate out drugs and drinking because right. with theirs, there's a gauntlet to go through. Right. That that will test that resolve. Exactly. So yeah. that's why I sort of said like, okay, separated out issue. Yeah. I mean, because when we're talking about just like generalized. Hi, Mary. Good morning. I can't read that because I'm blind as a bat. What does she say? Do you think? That's all I can say. Do you think uh, necessary is all will or are they fighting a physical addiction? So do you think changes? Um, the, so when it's actual addiction, like an addiction yep. to some kind of substance or thing, and so it's an ism, it's not about will. That's an actual um, genetically pushed so there's two things. There's a genetic push to that. Um, and then it's a matter of a variety of factors that get put in front of a person that show them that there's alternatives to the choices that they're making to deal with the problem that is being reinforced by using a substance. So that's beyond that gauntlet that we talked so, about of withdrawal. Right, right exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not a, and that's it's an old school thought, big time of like it's will. It, it people can have very strong will. And to get over the hump of that gauntlet of addiction, they have to beat brain chemistry. They have to beat habituation. They have to beat role modeling. They have to beat reinforcement of outside factors. So the will, the will, can, there's nobody in actual addiction that ever says, I want to be in addiction. Yeah. Ever. I've never, ever met anyone that's a heroin addict that says, I want to be a heroin addict. They, actually, they say the opposite. And anyone that I've seen that's an alcoholic that's still actively alcohol using and, and, and abusing, they never say 
they want to. They always say, I want to be out, but I can't. I and can't. Beyond, and they say, I can't. And beyond those characteristics is also the dual diagnosis. That's what well, got them to that spot in, in the first place. So dual diagnosis, and this is still to Mary's question, is that uh, in my in my clinical practice, I have only ever seen dual diagnostic because I don't see it as you you can't have an ism without the underlying thing. Right. The ism, the alcohol, the eating, the drugs, the sex, the gambling, right? Those are the outcomes and the symptoms of the problem. So the duality is that they are using the thing, the ism piece for the coping strategy of the problem that's not being addressed underneath, which is why people come to me. So oftentimes when people go to detox or they, you know, go to an A group, you know, OA, AA, any of those, they get the the initial the initial sobriety which is different right. than recovery it's the stopping of the ism but until a person actually is able to look at what made the ism happen and as a coping strategy that piece is where the person's will if you want to use the word will is is very present but it's really about the how to usually people only do what they know so if they know to drink if they know to eat to fulfill the 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 soul and the seed of the soul they're not necessarily looking at why are they doing that what drove them to do that in excess or to the point of no return they're looking at just stopping the behavior and that's 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 actually i hate to say this that's the easy part yeah well most people detox into a situation that's worse than the one that got them there or they detox into the same situation, which is the well, problem that got them there in the first place, right? Yes, but usually it's worse. Usually you've just screwed things up. Uh, on top, the the addiction has cost you otherwise. So, well, well, yeah. if if it gets to some some people, it gets to that point. Yes. Yeah. So the so the I just want to make sure I thoroughly answered um, Mary's question. But the um, the because it's such a common question about the will piece. Because people will say, "Well, you should just pull up your bootstraps and be able." It doesn't work like that, because like let's just keep it because so many people can relate to the eating mm-hmm. there's such an there's such an eating disordered behavior going on in this country both restriction and overeating but we have an obesity epidemic right, right. so the u.s and it's on the rise even more it's like we are one of the heaviest countries in the world um and people are saying you know some people will say it's because um there's so many choices and people just go for those things or whatever but that's fine those choices are there, but there are choices that you can make that are different. And why do people make the choice that is the the French fries and the yeah. kids meal taco bowl and the extra chips and all the thing in one meal versus um, a salad and maybe a baked potato? It, what What is the difference? Well, it's because the underlying emotional set that a person isn't aware of sometimes, or they are aware, but they deny it and push it away and pretend like it doesn't exist. Um, that drives your brain to go towards the things that will make you feel satisfied. Right. And people say, oh, salad and potato won't fill me up. It will. You have to have a different mindset because you're actually going to have no problem being filled up physiologically, but it's not fill up physiologically. It's emotional fill. It feels good to eat a whole pizza and ice cream and then go out and say, oh, I had a protein shake. Well, your protein shake was a thousand calories. Yeah. And then you had three pieces of pizza on it. And all. it's about, it's about what do you want to do about it? And if you don't know what to do about it, then there's the problem. It's not then I, cause nobody, nobody wants to be an under eater. No, cause you see people say, I want to gain weight. Nobody wants to be an overeater. 
because it's filling up an emotional space and an mm -hmm. emptiness. Same thing with alcohol, same things with drugs. It fills up emotional spaces because it's connection. Addiction is connection to a substance because they lack the person lacks connection somewhere else or has been disconnected and it's easier to deal with. That's why, I mean, again, Mary, Mary will totally understand this. People go towards animals, right? Right. Because they give you unconditional love where you got disconnected from actual people. That's why people love animals a lot time, a lot of times more than they will be with, with people mm -hmm. because animals will give you everything you need and fill the cup up. The crazy cat ladies. Hey, no offense. Oh, Mary, Mary, you come back and give him a hard time about calling us a crazy cat lady. That you include Mary in that. I was too. just backing up your example. Oh, whatever. Um, but no, I mean that way with dogs. You and the dogs. I love dogs. I know. I oh, I had a cute little dog in front of me this morning. Yeah. And the man. So here, ready? Here's my other beef. I sent it to John because I was videotaping him in the in the drive-through, which I. I did go through. He was so cute. He was like, he was smaller than Rocky. He looked like a cat, actually. How could he be smaller he than Rocky? He was. I'll show you after. But then, you know, it was disappointing. The dog is hanging his little paws out the window and he's so cute. And I'm like, a car behind. I'm like, oh, God, he's so cute. And the next thing I see is the man sitting over him, smoking a cigarette and blowing it down on him. I'm like, oh, God, kill me. <laughs> like, well, there goes his. And he's this little white snowball. I'm like, oh, there goes yeah. his fur. <laughs> oh, what did she say? Said I actually had a sister that was a crazy cat lady. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh my God. Um, they're so, out there. I, yes, there are. Well, so well, so so speaking of, well, I'll use that as an example. It's a perfect example about like the fulfillment needs. So you know, being at Wildcat this weekend, right? They rescued all. They rescued the um, Asian leopard cats. Yeah. That that whole thing. If you listen, if people listen to my show the other day with Tammy she had 49 cats before she died and 24 of them got split off. Right. And Tammy yep. ended up with um, a whole bunch of them um, now more than she actually thought she was going to have because two have medical conditions as of yesterday. So two more have stayed are staying and yeah. only four are going. Um, but I said to Tammy over the weekend that there's an underlying mental health condition that's dual diagnostic. It's an obsession and an addiction to yep. have the breeding need to fulfill whatever was going on in her. I don't know this lady, but I, or her whole story. I just have got, and I'm not, little, we're not taking away her compassion towards the no, cats, but no, there's she, an additional thing she, going on. Right. It, it has nothing to do. There was no maliciousness. There's no, right. it's about the love of this, this animal, whatever it is, dog, cat, whatever, but to the excess point, because it's never enough, it never fills you up enough. So you think of it, you replace it with like heroin or an opiate. It's never enough. It's, you know, One's too many, a hundred's never enough. So where's the line, right? So I, and I said to Tammy, God, there must've been more than 49 at one point, I imagine, right? So it's the same thing is, okay, we can take and take all those those um, animals away, but if, well, she's passed away now, but if yeah. we had her alive, you know, and I could go in and say, okay, what's going on? I almost guarantee that there's some trauma and something going on mentally and not mentally, like she's got to be in an insane asylum, but there was something mentally yeah. off with her that was so anxiety provoking, so depressive, so whatever to have 50 versus 10. Yep. Right. So, and, and, you know, and whether, the, you know, there's all kinds of underlying things with that, whether it's, you know, money and the need for breeding and the wanting to have an exotic animal. I mean, that's a specific thing to that, but you could say that for anything, because there's a duality in the presentation of people and how, you know, I, I did this in class yesterday. I was talking about basically by three years old, essentially, 
with all psychological theories, we could put it in place, but by three years old, you already have the ism of like set in place if you have it around you of some sort. Okay. It's there by time. So not necessarily genetically, just environmentally. It, it could be, it could be environmental. Well, you're just double loaded. Yeah. If you have the genetic pull for it, right. Yeah. You're in the genes for it. You're there. But if you're zero to six is when you're fully good morning, faith, another crazy cat lady. You want to call me and Mary crazy cat ladies. It's faith. I'm not too. calling anybody crazy. You cat did, lady. Lou. I just faith, say they exist. Faith, get him. Faith. He's picking on me this morning. <laughs> um, but the, um, See, you just got me off track. What was I just saying? God, I was saying something. You're saying you're double loaded if you have. Oh, so you're double loaded. Yeah. So, so if you have the genetic load and, you know, yeah. you have a parent already. Right. But if but the environment is so important. <laughs> uh, so the environment of that a person's in and the and the habituation and the reinforcement of behavior of just watching happen over time. By the time yeah. you're three, four, five, six, it, it, by six, it's imprint. You're, you know, you're done well the most important thing in parenting is it not is modeling so whatever they see they're going to do, going to adapt right so they don't listen to what you say but they sure as hell watch what you do and kids will do it will get imprinted more with what you're doing than what you're saying mm -hmm. and and so w when we look at people who have like the woman in texas that had all that right or when we look at i was going back to the whole like if you're if you're eating to fill your space, which is why I use the zero to three, you have the eating disordered potential by the time you're three or four years yep. old, because even though you're not necessarily looking at social media, people will blame social media all day. Social media is a reinforcer for eating disorders. Social media is, uh, and that's later for kids, but zero to three to four, you're already laid the groundwork for an eating disorder. Like the client I just talked about, she's showing her child that her breakfast is Coke, not Coke Sniff, let's be clear, yeah. but Coca-Cola and donut every morning. Oof. But she's, but she doesn't allow him. And she, her message to him is, oh, you, mommy can have that. You can't have that. Yeah, so what is it that it is? So again, it's, they don't listen to what a, you say. They, they watch, watch what you right. do. So yeah. it's a disconnect. And then she's smoking a cigarette, but she's like, but I don't do it inside the house. I do it outside of the house. Right. So hey, that's great. But still, you're still modeling for yeah. what we're trying, you know, so when that child gets to be a certain age, usually around 12, 13, we're into the ism phase potential that's higher. Um, that doesn't mean that people who have none of that in their homes don't have the outcome of that as well, because something has gone awry. And what the, what the thing is underneath is the emotional disconnect. There's an emotional disconnect in all of these things that make it so that people who have something come up that's dramatic in their lives, like, you know, whether it's um, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, like whatever it is, that they are going to make the lifestyle change today because they're scared to death. But by Friday, we're done and we're back to what yep. we're doing. Because why? And this is what I was going to answer. Why? Because people lose the fear over time because it's not in their face as much. If right in the moment when you're sitting with a doctor and the doctor's telling you that yeah. if you don't stop this and you don't change these behaviors and you can see on like where it's written on the chart, like, you know, addiction or overweight, overweight, overweight on the line of diabetes. Like if you're not looking at that and you don't have that as a reminder every day, your brain's going to bypass with the right. habituation of what you've been taught, which is the duality diagnosis of you can have all the will in the world of wanting to change. But if you don't address the hurt and the sadness and the anxiety and the, um, 
in the disconnect and that's underneath, then it's going to be very difficult. And that's where people have a hard time when they come into my office, I can get you sober off of anything like, you know, and that's probably, that's even like, if you have anxiety, I can get you sober from having anxious moments, but it's the recovery work. It's being back to reparenting. So going back three shows ago, I think three shows ago, when I talked about, you have to be seen, soothed, secure, and safe. And the safety and security are big parts of that is there's a disconnect. Are you emotionally safe by being not abandoned, not rejected, not disconnected? And people who struggle with drugs and alcohol, struggle with their weight, struggle with, um, you know, animal hoarding, struggle with those, you know, PTSD, they have these pieces where they're not underlying, um, not working on the underlying issues. And so therefore, um, they go back to what they know. So, I, I had a friend who, you know, who passed away and his biggest, I used to joke with him and say, any day that ends in Y is a day to have pizza. Cause he'd say, it's just, it's only on Monday, but it would be Tuesday. Yeah. And I would say, oh, it's a day that ends in Y. And he'd be like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but because I knew what was going on, cause he was just doing, he was giving into his moment of feeling. Yep. And I knew what he was feeling. Cause he would tell me. So, you know, and we would talk about it ad nauseum right up to the day he died, literally up to the day he died. We talked about the changes he needed to make and he would be on a roll and, and then, yeah. Two days later, it'd be like, oh, fear gone, you know, fear gone. Yeah. Okay, so I have to read what oh, I'm getting all these messages. Let's see. Um, Jersey, oh, Jersey girl, do yeah. as I say, not as I do. Yes, yes, that, she just said, do as I say, not as I do. It's very hard for people to do as when they're growing up. Little kids will not do what you say, they'll do it on surface, but they're watching yeah, what no. you're doing. No. And that yeah. goes to the point I always make about parents who think that their kids our kids and they don't see, they don't, uh, that doesn't matter. They yeah, don't your feel client like says, I just smoked outside. Kids know, mm-hmm. they know mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. They don't think they know, but they know. Exactly. And I don't care if they're three or four, they know. Exactly. So, yeah. and so they know more when they see than rather than when they hear. Like, right. I'm telling you not to do it. And I use this in, in my teaching examples in, in behavioral um, psych. <laughs> For some reason, the grocery store is a very high rate of psychological interest to me. <laughs> I find more things no. that happen at the grocery yeah. store, right? Yeah. So you go in, uh, I'm going to throw out, like, it's not because of them, but it's just, I'll be in market basket, let's yeah. say, right? In Demoulas. And I'll be walking no, along. Don't get me started. I, I'm not talking about the grocery store. I'm just talking about being in the grocery store. <laughs> no, but, people in the grocery right, store. But here's the, I always have a giggle and then a cringe because I will hear, and it's weird, I will hear someone in another aisle correcting their kids and I don't know how many times over the years I've heard someone be like, Joey, don't hit your sister. And then I hear smack and I come around the corner and you know what's happened? The parent has said, Joey, don't hit your sister. And the parent then smacks the kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you see the disconnect? So you know what's going on. The kid is now going, what? Yeah. You know, don't do it while you get smacked or yeah. you get grabbed. Right. And, and I usually get a chuckle when I teach this in my old, my graduate program, because they're all parents or they've all been parents. And yep. they, they all were like, Oh God, I think I screwed up my kid because they they've done it. You know, they know how to relate to that because it's not what they said. It's the fact that they right. reinforced it. And I say to people, when you tell a child, like, don't hit, don't bite. And then you bite them back, you know, cause that's old school, like bite back, you know, or hit back. 
they just find a different compensating strategy to get around doing what you told them not to do to go do that to their sister or their brother. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because they're being reinforced by what you did, not what you said. Exactly. And so people, you know, so if, if someone says, don't eat that, and then they eat it. Yep. Right. It, it, in the, I'm talking like in the house. Like if you don't out, smoke, this is really bad. Bad. You, yeah. I don't want you ever to smoke. Puff, puff. It's like, okay. <laughs> yep. Right. So because it's showing, it's like that, you know, why is it okay? Oh, because you have to be an adult to have that. So when people often will ask me about like how to teach their kids coming up through about drinking, I would say start them early, give them right, correct, healthy messages about drinking is a privilege. Drinking has a lot that comes with it. Alcohol has a lot of things that um, people use it for. Like educate age appropriately early, educate. And same thing with food. I wish people would talk about what you use food. Food is fuel, not food is uh, safety. Um, just talked about this in my class yesterday about um, using food to reward is one of the worst things you can do. Oh, you did great in school. Let's go get ice cream. You yep. did great. Let's go out for dinner. You did great. Let's go. Uh, you know, um, oh, you, you know, you kick the ball down the field five feet. Let's go get a pizza. Yeah. Big mistake. You're attaching <laughs> all those great feelings to that food. And, and I had a student yesterday in class talk about how she grew up in um, a Greek family. And so Greek, she says, in, and I and I said, oh, Italians are like this too. You know, yeah. it's food is love. So yeah. everything's equated with food, family, food, family, food, family. And she's struggling with a weight issue. So we were talking about it yesterday in class about how the culture of something is hard to bypass when the message is guilt and rejection and shame if you don't eat because then you're yes. rejecting love yeah and how embedded that is and so if someone was asking me how do you break and she did she said how do i break the cycle of being obese she's obese how do i break the cycle of that and i said i said you have to look at the food is love issue and start knowing that it's not about the guilt um it's not about being guilty it's about feeling how do you feel good about yourself and knowing that you can say I love you and I can't keep doing that to myself because it's not making me feel good or whatever messages that you have to say yep. to yourself and whatever, because people get into that. Oh, you don't want more food. Why aren't you eating? Isn't it good? And so it's an equated love thing. Yep. Um, and it's, it's just so Italian. It's and, and yeah. she's Greek. So yeah. and I said, I said, many cultures are like that food equals love and conditional. Like if you don't eat it, you know, you're saying something and you're not right. So um, I have multiple clients now who've shifted over from that mindset and they, and of course this is offensive to their families. They bring their own food to their, you know, because they don't want to end up eating a pound of pasta or wow. lasagna or whatever. They That's bring. bold. And they do, they do that. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and so some, and some clients won't do that because they're going to, they know there's going to be an issue. So I, we do a food plan or an alcohol plan around like, okay, what you're going to, you're going to maneuver it for yourself so that you can still show your love for what they've done, but not end up indulging and gorging. Cause what people do is they go, oh, forget it. I'll just do whatever and not just eat it all or whatever. But then they leave feeling, Oh my God, this is awful. I feel terrible. And I have one client is like, I'd rather feel that way than the feel of guilt from my mother for not sure. eating the food. Yeah, right. right? Yeah. So that, so it's a lot. So that's the underlying issue of of that particular thing. If you go to just people who are struggling with a, a, like a medical illness, like I started the show, like a like diabetes, high cholesterol, being obese, having heart condition because of it, having little mini strokes, young in life, things like that. If you're not looking at what's driving you to fill up your cup halfway 
and then 20 minutes later needing to do it again and again and again. It's, it's not because you have, I love it. It's genetics. No, it's not. It's you're making choices yeah. back to Mary's question, right? You're making choices. Once you know you have an ism, you need to make choices that are better. There's where your will, if you want to call it will, that's where the will comes in. It's like, I will make a different choice. I will not make that choice. You can have, you can have chocolate cake, but not the whole cake. Yeah. You can have pizza, but not the whole pizza right. and not every day. Every time you go out and go through a drive-thru, do you need to have seven sugars in your coffee? No, you have a will. You're, are you willing to make a different choice? So that's where I like to use the word will. It's not about willpower. It's about I will make a choice. And once I've made the choice, I own it or I beat myself up over it. And if I'm making choices that are making me um, lose my job or um, lose my family or yeah. make my health bad and, and I'm going to die by the time I'm 30, well you have to own those choices and people don't want it. So they go into that denial space like, Oh, it's, I'm fine. It's all good. You know, I'll fix it tomorrow. Tomorrow come tomorrow well, comes and then tomorrow goes. You talked about how you can have pizza, but not every day. I mean, we've talked about this with weight loss and it's funny because back to the Gita podcast mm -hmm. I did, it's like denial doesn't work. No, you can't deny yourself. You just have to manage things better. Make smart decisions. My weight loss. I just, my, you know, my favorite saying is I just didn't eat stupid hundred percent of the time. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, but that's goes to the will you made, you were willing to make choices that you weren't eating stupid hundred percent of the time, yeah. but you have to be, yeah. you have to really be more like not eating stupid. You know, you have to eat, you have to eat smart 90% of the right. time. Yeah. Right. So that's important because people will say, Oh, well, 99% of the time I can eat stupid because <laughs> that's what people do. They go into that mindset. Well, I can justify because people justify, maximize, minimize, rationalize, do all those things to make it so that it fits the narrative of like, I'm fine. I justified it. It was it's my birthday. Yeah. It's my birthday week. It's my birthday month. Right. Yep. I do that. But that doesn't mean I do that. But I just do that because I want birthday <laughs> to me. I don't do it to eat. Right. So, you know, and and a lot of times people say, don't you want dessert? No. I'd rather have a glass of wine. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's less. Oh my God. It's Bruce. Bruce is back. Oh my God. What did he say? How do you stop your mind dreaming of big CD? <laughs> oh my God. I think he's asked me this before. <laughs> is he being serious? You don't have to stop dreaming about it. You, no, you just don't eat it every well, day. You have to choose not to eat it yeah. all the time. Or when you do eat it, you don't eat the whole pan, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Because baked ziti is delicious, um, but but if you're asking seriously, there's a, there's an actual serious answer to that. Because if you are not dreaming of it, but if you are actually thinking about food, which is a lot of people do, like people think about drinking, they think about sure. their ism. The the chemicals in your brain go to the switch in the hypothalamus, um, which regulates your eating, and the more you eat crappy, let's just put it, shit food. And shit food is baked ziti. Sorry, everybody, but it is. <laughs> the more you eat it, the more your body craves it because it's sugar. And the and it's you have sugar in the sauce, you have sugar in the pasta, you have sugar in probably if it's got sausage or some kind of meat product in it that you yep. put in and you've added sugar. Like so it's going to the brain and it's making you dream of that because your brain has associated over time that it makes you feel good and you like the taste. Therefore, 
you're going to keep dreaming about it, so to speak. Dreaming. Comfort food, it's, right? Right. It's comfort. It's the yeah. mashed potatoes, the bagels, the the toast, the pancake, the French toast, the pasta, the pizza, French fries, pretzels, potato chips, cookies, cake. Did I miss any? <laughs> Oreos. Oreos, right? <laughs> yeah. And and they and they're even trying to make you feel less guilty now. They make thin Oreos. Thin. They call them thin. And did you know that's an actual psychological um, purposely put in? It's not just, you know, uh, they could have named them anything else. Sure. But they use the word yep. thin, paper thin or wafer thin Oreo. It makes people think that they're getting their big bank for their buck, but they're still not having as many calories. No, because people would still eat the whole bag. And guess what? The bag is still the same amount of calories. Right. But yep. people, don't, they think it's thin. So they're eating way less. Nope. It's still the same. And you can eat a hundred calorie pack, which brings me to that. You can eat a hundred calorie pack of anything. hundred calories is still hundred calories, but it's a matter of, is it a hundred calories of lettuce or cucumbers with dressing or something that can be metabolized and not use as sugar? Or is it a hundred calories of junk? Yeah. hundred calories of junk turns to fat. hundred calories of non-junk doesn't turn to anything other than fuel and goes away. A triggering, triggering your metabolism is key here because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the bad stuff slows down your metabolism, which makes everything you eat worse. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, because it just collects. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a, a trash collector in your body. Right. Yeah. So same thing with like drugs and alcohol. Right. Same thing. It's a trash collector. But the but let's go to why. The why is because we're constantly trying to connect. We're trying to connect with ourselves. Food, food and alcohol and drugs are connections to self. Oh, it's funny. I was going to bring this up. connections to other people. Yeah, yeah I was going to bring this up. Um, shared experience is such a big thing in this, isn't it? Because, and it's such a double-edged sword. You look at addicts, for example, this is shared experience being an addict. And then recovery is all shared experience. That's, yes. that's the entire strength of recovery or, or sobriety and, and is and shared experience. It's shared experience yeah. with connection. And that's why people who are sort of white knuckling it, so to speak, have a hard time is because they're usually not doing a connection to anybody. You know, I have, you know, people that have had family members that have been in sobriety, different than recovery, which is they stop, but they don't have any connections outside. And there are still ogres in the family. They're constantly angry. They're mean. They're agitated. They're frustrated. They're, they're still doing the addict behavior without using the substance to fill it because they haven't done the underlying work of why are you so angry? Why are you so sad? Why are you so disconnected? It's because you're not doing the shared experience. You're not finding that, oh, there's people that have like-mindedness that got themselves into this problem and are in this space. You know, or people won't go to a group or right. to someplace to get that kind of support because they're embarrassed. Just like people won't go to the gym if they feel they're too heavy. I have to be, I have to say, um, I'm so proud of, because you know me, I go to the gym every day. Um, and I've seen more people, I'm, I'm like, oh, I want to just be going up and give them hugs. I see more people who are just working their tails off seriously every day. For some reason, I've just seen an influx. Maybe it's because of the pandemic. Maybe it's because people are more committed. Maybe, I, who knows? Maybe it's all the things. But I've seen more people really working at it that are, you know, are just struggling with their health. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. And they're not even worried about other people being in the room or who's around. And, and you know, this is, so, of course, in my own personal life, I'm always like, I wish that you know, my friend had just yeah. bypassed his stigma and just done it. Or I wish that, you know, other people would just do it right. So that they would be healthier. But 
it is what it is. And that's going back to that whole thing of like, you know, you just have to hands off and be like, whatever, it's not my, not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> right. And by the way, Faith, I totally agree with you. Wine over dessert yeah. any day. Well, you make those trade-offs sometimes Well, it's empty too. calories too, but still. <laughs> there's, there's less calories in a glass of Pinot Grigio than there are in yeah. chocolate cake. And they're easier to burn off. But like I make decisions. Bruce and I, we have this talk all the time. It used to be the way my schedule worked. Wednesday was a pizza day. I'd go have a slice of pizza because I had a break in between shows and stuff. And it was like, I just planned for it. You know, I worked towards it. It's like, well, I'm going to have the pizza today. So I'm going to take it easy this morning or whatever it is. You know. Right. Well, so there's all kinds of trade-offs. Or like I say it all the time, they, you know, Janet and Jaden want to get pizza and they'll get pizza. And I guess if I'm going to eat pizza, I want good pizza. If I'm right. going to do it. Yeah. Don't, don't waste it on crap. Yeah. Right. Exactly. By the way, Mary just said this is, and this is a really good point. Salute. Yeah. <laughs> um, her ex-father-in-law was addicted to AA after he quit drinking. It was mean. Yes. So that can happen. And he was mean when he was addicted to AA or. I, he... I think that's what she's saying. Okay. So I, if that's how I'm interpreting it, because I, because I, I can relate to that with some clients. I have clients that are Bible thumping traditionalist in AA yeah. and are. <laughs> they're a lot. I, I don't know if, the, if it's mean or if they're, they're just, they're doing, they're doing the AA work, but they're still not doing the work underneath. So they feel like that because they haven't had a drink in 30 years, they can dictate how it should be done, but they're still angry. And they, you know, yep. there's, there's very strict rules in the traditionalists in, in, well, there's guidelines, I will say, not rules. There's guidelines in traditionalist AA work or in the A work is like, you know, you don't get to speak for a year. You don't get to do this. You don't. And I don't believe in that. I don't yeah. I don't think I don't think squelching a person's voice and being heard and that you, until you get, you know, a certain amount of time of day, everyone has to have a voice and be able to talk but because that's part of being seen. So I if she's saying that I've seen that for sure, because people can get addicted to yeah. being in the shared experience right. and having to do it the right way, because that's the only way they feel like they have control. And what do you have control over? Plus, in that shared experience of AA, for example, in, in this example, they have status. Right. Which they didn't have elsewhere in life. Which makes them connected. I have, I've made my bones in AA, right? Right, yeah. right. And and that it's but it's a false sense of connectedness because right. it's not it's not the genuine authentic eye roll of uh, of of connection. It's the real. It's it's a fake. It's a facade. It's another facade. And so therefore, it is addiction. You know, people that do two or three meetings a day, they're going in. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No. I'm I'm happy you do that. But are you utilizing it the correct way? Oh, she responded. What'd she say? I think it was just a miserable human being in general. Well, that, <laughs> that's entirely so, possible. But, but so that yeah. would drive that because, in all, you know, I mean, yes, it's funny, but it's also in all seriousness, people who are miserable, there's what we're talking about, people who have an underlying misery or an, a, a, a bad situation internally, their, their mind is run riot. They're, they're going to be miserable. It's likely they're just going to remain miserable because if they yep. don't want to change that right. and they don't see the impact that it's having, then there's where the narcissist comes in. But in AA, there's a shared experience where you could be, quote unquote, miserable and be accepted. Yes, and people well, it's, it's, it's packaged in such well, a way because, that it gives them status within AA. Well, because you're still because the whole well, not the whole, but one of the tenets of AA is everyone's accepted no matter where they right. are at. So you know you could be in it for thirty years and be staunch into it and just be miserable, you know, because miserable people like misery, right? Yeah. I mean, 
there's so many things if we just talk just about strict like that kind of drug addiction or alcohol addiction about how people one two three step you know there's 12 steps but the one two three step one two three step they'll just admit they have a problem they'll do the first two steps and like talking about by the time they're supposed to do the work which is the fourth and fifth step which is really looking at their character flaws really looking at how to make amends really doing work yep nope so they stay in that first three steps of yeah there's a problem but <laughs> Right. Which is the same thing I was talking about with people who start on Tuesday. Oh, my God, I'm dying. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm 19 and I'm dying oh, by Friday. We're back to eating pizza. It's the same thing. One of the important steps in dealing with this, though, is understanding that you don't think like people who have those problems. Like we talk about it with addicts all the time. Yes. Non-addicts have struggled with helping addicts because the thought process is totally different. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for the two sides to connect. Right. Because you don't understand how an addict thinks and an addict no longer understands how you think. Right. And and for people and you'll see you'll hear that a lot, especially in like my family work I do with people who are, you know, one will, one person in a couple will say, you don't understand how hard it is. And the other person will say, well, you I don't understand how come you can't just stop. Right. <laughs> And the, and then we have we have weeks of months and sometimes years of that conversation because but that's an important acceptance moment, isn't it's, it? It is such an important acceptance moment okay. of that you won't understand that. And I say that to people who are not in addiction about their family, you will not understand it. And then they always say, "Well, how do you understand it? How do you?" Well, it's different because I understand it from being out here and watching, and also educationally, I know and like, but I just I've been around it so long. Yep that I just know the deal. And it's when you, when you're married to someone and you didn't have it in your life before, or you have a sibling, you just look at it and go, no one else around us is like that. What's going on with you? It's, it's hard to wrap your head around. Like, how can you make a choice to do that? Or how can you make a choice to keep eating yourself to death? How can you make a choice yeah. to keep drinking yourself to death? Cause the brain works in a very, very different way in terms of its chemical processing and its narrative messaging of what's driving that. Yep. Um, and it's really hard because there's, and it's not, I can't give the answer of a one size fits all kind of thing to that because it's what is specific to that person's story that's making them do that. They're very, usually the stories are similar. There's always going to be some kind of underlying issue yeah. with anxiety and depression and some kind of unhappiness. Let's put it that way. It's driving it. But you have to learn to get out of your perspective and understand there are other perspectives. If, and that's and that's a want. Yeah. You have to want to. Now people want to, but then people don't know how to. Faith's gonna set you off here. Uh oh. What My ex went from a bad heroin addiction to a methadone clinic addiction. Yep. Addiction. Yeah. Well, so so and Mary agreed with the narcissist. So yeah. Faith, yes. So that is a really common unfortunate problem that I could spend a whole show or three yeah. <laughs> talking about is that the unfortunate big pharma system has created an issue, which goes back to the Vietnam war. And actually before that, but we'll just go back to the Vietnam war where methadone was created mm -hmm. to help, help air quote, um, people with heroin addiction, but they gave soldiers heroin to, you, you, uh, yeah. we know the deal so they could perform better. Right. And not have, you know, the fear. Yeah. So, so methadone. Wait a second. I want to pick you up on that. Yeah. Gave or allowed? Both. Oh, okay. It, it was a both. There was a conscious. Yes. Su supply. supply. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah. So the, so the method. I know they turn the other way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. The methadone was created in theory initially, just like all the current um, medically assisted treatments that are out there now that are that are addictive. They created them for short term use to help a person come off of the addicted substance. But we know that methadone now is clearly a problem. And then it's just like now they use Suboxone and Sublocate mm -hmm. and Subutex. And all, those are all addictive. And people are like, so they're just using synthetic, all those are synthetic heroin. So it's just replacing one addiction for another. But the only thing is that now it's justified because it's a, it's a legally written prescription for something that's not getting off the street. It's now I'm holistic and all natural. So I'm no, I'm not an MAT um, supporter on that side. There's two sides of it. The other side is the blockers, which have no addiction that they act, they work to help people not use. That's naltrexone and Vivitrol shot. Naltrexone is the pill mm -hmm. form. Um, Camprel for alcohol, nice. abuse, things like that. The you know the behavioral averters, but but the other side is methadone, subloxone, subblocade, buprenorphine, like those things. They're all addictive, and so it's the it's the facade of looking like you get sober, but you're not. You're just using something that someone gave you. Oh, we've got lots of things going on on the on screen now. Uh, Faith um, says he was going to a clinic during his heroin addictions. It was free drugs to him, which is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And jo yes, John is right. World War II, the Germans created. Well, there's actually, so I teach about this in the history of drug use in my class. And so it's actually even before that, but it was just easier to go because it, to, um, uh, Vietnam because it was so blatant yeah. in Vietnam and we know a lot of the history comes from the in the increase in meth methadone was just like flurriedly pushed through that time. Um, yes, it is synthetic opiate poison and people don't realize that it's synthetic heroin. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that that's what it is. I even have it's people supposed to in, be mitigating the damages. Well, and well, I don't that's know why how much they say it does, it's a yeah. medically assisted treatment. Yeah. So, and there's a difference between being in recovery and then in treatment, right? Recovery programs are no drugs at all, nothing. Treatment centers are places where you can get, you can be on medications and keep using. So, mm -hmm. and there's lots of treatment medications for all kinds of things that are assisting. And so go to the other side of this where I was talking about weight. Remember what was it was eight months, nine months ago, I did it on, I did the show on um, Ozempic and um, Mangaro and all the weight loss weight loss drugs that were out originally for right. just controlling A1C and that you now, this is the same thing as methadone and all the other ones you have, if you go on them, first of all, we know I, I warned, I said, there's going to be complications with this drug for people. And there are, and then once you're on it, you can't come off of it. You, you'll lose weight on it for sure, but you won't come off of it because yep. as soon as you come off of it, you know, what's going to happen. You're going to go right back into the whole overweight right. and eating thing. Just like if you come off of methadone and you don't have a good therapy plan and you don't have a support system and you don't have good holistic things around you with support, you're going to go right back into addiction. It's very hard for people to stay away from opiates when they've been opiated long for many chronic years on something like methadone or suboxone. Yeah. And the, the physical damage is just like the eating disordered damage. You know, you have this, you have heart condition, diabetes, people don't realize bone density issues, um, gastrointestinal breakdown, cancer, like it's just, it's the same. So those same things. So I'm always saying, if you keep eating this way, if you keep drinking, you know, to the excess of, you know, a handle of vodka a day, if you, have, you know, it's one thing to have a couple of glasses of wine. It's one thing to have pizza once in a while. It's what, right. But if we're doing it to the point where we're killing ourselves, how do you how do you then be optimistic about how to get out of that if Tuesday you're in 
a death door potentially. And now Friday, we're back to the same thing. Yeah. So it's so important to really, you know, people that are listening already are like, yeah, we get it. It's the people who aren't listening who don't get it and yeah. who won't, who won't get it because they don't want to. There's the, there's the want. It's not the will, it's the want. So, uh, okay. Again, priorities are different. Um, okay. So, uh, years. Oh, so why can't, oh, uh, that's exactly right. Kim, yeah. it's been seized. Why does he keep going? He swears it's for pain. Uh, right. It's cute. It's excuse. Me. Well, I would imagine faith in the case of that, of that, um, that the person does believe that here's the thing is that we convince ourselves to justify, to mm -hmm. make it okay for ourselves that we have a legitimate reason for doing it. That's why the doctors are allowing it to happen. Cause of course they wouldn't give it to us unless it was for that. Oh yeah. Right. You know, well, you know yeah. what I'm saying? This yeah. is, this is a storyline in the head. Right? Yeah. So it justifies his brain that he can still continue doing it. Right. That's, you know, and we all know on the outside, it's of course they're getting high because those drugs get you high. Trust um, the science, Kim. Exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, and then Mary just said, what I'm allergic to almost all pain meds, fractured part of my back. It was given methadone for pain and went right into ICU on Narcadra. Yep. Um, yeah. If, if people, I'm, I'm all about like finding 17 other ways to, to holistically and naturally treat yourself for pain issues. Um, because you get put on any of that stuff, you know, morphine, methadone, um, even gabapentin people are like, Oh, gabapentin, gabapentin, by the way, very addictive. Yeah, people people yeah. aren't told that it's highly addictive or people use um, Cymbalta. Cymbalta came out um, initially as an SSR, SNRI for people who had pain issues and it was used for neuropathy. Now it's being heavily used for everything and under the sun mental health wise, right? Because that's right. It's highly addictive. You're going to have a really hard time. Effexor, Effexor, which is venlafaxine. It works great. It works great for mood regulation, works all those things, has some pain regulation also highly addictive. You come off of it and you miss one dose of that. You start getting brain sparks. Brain brain, sparks. Yeah. That's what I call it. They, your brain starts like sparking and you feel really sick and you go through withdrawal. <laughs> so, but doctors won't tell you that. Yeah. So it's better to do things naturally if you can. And in the last resort, go to something medically only temporarily with that mindset. And if you know that you come from addiction in your family, I would run from those things just because you're going to have a harder time. And they go so quickly. Doctors mm -hmm. go so quickly. It's just like I had a small cosmetic surgery and they gave mm -hmm. me a seven day run of Vicodin. Mm -hmm. And this was a Tylenol problem at best. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they don't know who I was. They don't know the background. They don't, they just prescription just came out well, automatically. I, well, and I, I always tell all of my clients that I have in recovery that when they go in for surgery or they go in, which I do have people that do, I always say, make sure that you tell. And they always do. They say, I'm, I can't or whatever. And I did have a client have her, she had surgery a couple, like two months ago. And she was in a lot of pain. So she accepted through lots of guilt and talking to me. I'm like, if just, yes, you can take one, go ahead, you know? And then afterwards she was like, that was the worst mistake in my life. Cause she's like, it made me feel terrible. She's like, I don't know why I ever use this in the first place. Cause she'd been sober for like 15 yep. years off of it. And they gave her a Vicodin and she was like, that was, it didn't do anything other than make me feel gross. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's good. And she's like, I went right to Tylenol after that. But she had that toggle of like yep. all of her sobriety because but she was in so much pain. And so I was like, yeah. And then for a long time, I don't know if it's gotten any better, but they do it with kids and you get 17, 18 year yep. old high school they athletes. Still, they still do it. It's like, it's crazy. So that's, I warn my, I warn the parents when they go in to have like, you know, an ACL or an MCL tear, like yeah. replaced or, or re, uh, repaired. I always say, be careful. They're going to try to give you you know, 30 day supply of oxys or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, really? I'm like, mm. and then the parent will be like, oh my God, they gave me and 
they're like, I just didn't read, I didn't fill the prescription. Like good, because yeah. that's where, that's where athletes or athletes talk about when we do our sports stuff, athletes, that's where they start oftentimes with that they get a broken back or they get a broken leg or they get something that's like really painful or, or, or and then the doctor will give them a 10 day supply. Well, for many people, no issue. Most people, it's an issue yeah. because you start and you're off to the races and then you can't, you can't turn that around all of a sudden. And it just doesn't work like that. So I'm always mindful of that. You're having a major things. surgery, except a little pain and recovery. I mean, it's just, people, you know. I know people don't like to feel that, you know, God forbid, God forbid, especially with your 16 year old. Right. I mean, well, God crazy. forbid you'd have to make changes and, yeah. and have to like change your mindset. And that goes back to the beginning of the show. You have, you know, I'm going to go towards that with you have a problem on Tuesday that requires you to lose 100 pounds, make food changes, go to the gym and and want to make a choice each time by by I will make a choice each time that's different. And by Friday, we're back to no problem. Yep. And that's and that's a problem. Right. So how do you stay optimistic around that when you're around that as family? Know that it's not your issue know that you have no control. So if it really bothers you, you have to put distance between you and the person and you can only be supportive. You don't have to disconnect, never disconnect, but um, disassociate. You have to love, I love you, but I love you from over here. Yeah. Right? I'll be there for you, but I'm not going to live this with you every single day because it's like always something. And it's, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch someone drink themselves to death. It's hard to watch someone put heroin into their body to death. It's hard to watch someone have to be Narcan, right? If no one's ever seen it, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot because you're bringing someone back from death. It's a lot. Yeah. No one ever wants to watch. It's one thing, you know, if you're 90 years old and you pass away of all the natural causes, that's one thing. Who wants to watch a 20 something have a stroke because they couldn't put the food down? You know, so um, it's, you know, back yourself away. Okay. What were the last couple comments that before I wrap up? Uh, I had a, a oh. faith. I told you Xanax and Soma addiction. Yay, Faith. That's so awesome. She's, She's got eight years. She said yeah, it's hard to live with. I slept with Mace. Oh, wow. Wait. Oh, now see, Bruce asked me this question. Yeah. Now. Okay. Well, do I have time? Yeah. Okay. You get time. Okay. So first of all, for Faith, Xan Xanax is the whopper doozy of all the benzos. So it goes like, you go like Ativan, which is lorazepam, and then you go clonopin, which is clonazepam, and then you go to Xanax, right? And you have Valium and other things in there, but oh, Xanax is a, and Soma is a whopper doozy of an addiction drug. Like it, a lot of doctors shouldn't and won't give it typically because it will get people, um, See how it, she 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 said how would you rob me when I was asleep? See, yeah, yeah, he, because, he, he would rob me when I was asleep. Oh, oh, he would rob you. See, yeah. I can't see. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can't see. You get you. Um, but it's um, it's such a big, big addiction drug, and people don't realize that that's like so. A lot of doctors won't give that as often now, and they're very careful. So it just depends. Um, going to Bruce's question about medical marijuana. Medical marijuana is an interesting thing. So I have. I, so before when you couldn't just get it and you had to have prescription, I, cause I'm a naturopath, I would write the prescription in terms of people who wanted to use it for medical reasons with the caveat that I don't, I didn't free, you can get it. Now you can go and just be medically, get a medical card from anywhere, yeah. whatever. But which is unfortunate because I would do a good six month screening 
an assessment for the medical condition with documentation of like, you know, is it a back issue? Do yeah. they it, like, it wasn't just, Oh, I need one of these cards. Can you write me a prescription? I was, people would be, be so mad. Cause I'd be like, I'm not just writing that for you because I will not do that. Yeah. And so we have to have good assessment, good treatment. We have to make all their alternatives. Have we tapped out everything else? So I am fine because we do have great research around medical marijuana because one medical marijuana isn't made in the same way as recreational marijuana. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's a longer show, but I can talk about it next week if we, if we want to. Um, it's made in a way that we have cannabinoid. We have the cannabis receptors that are natural in our body, one and two, the two receptors. And so the medical marijuana hits on one of them in a different way than the other kind of marijuana. So medical marijuana typically doesn't get you high. I mean, you can use enough of it to get you high, but it typically does. It just does what it's supposed to do. And they're right. made in strain form for specific conditions like sleep or whatever. I am not a proponent of medical marijuana or any kind of marijuana at all for people who have severe anxiety because it makes it worse. People will fight that on me all day long, but initially people will always say, but it makes me sleep. It makes me relax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it, the way that it hits on your brain, it actually makes people who are not doing the work on their anxiety worse, worse. So I am not, not in favor of that. It's not good for people with depression. Um, and it's, uh, not good for people who have like certain types of other disorders. So it's just, you have to be careful with it in short. So, yeah. um, you're very welcome, Faith. I'm so glad that you were here and um, Mary and um, John, I know was here and I'm sure other people are listening and just didn't pop in. Cause I know people were texting me on the side and asking me questions that I didn't get to, but um, oh, Mary's, uh, I want to get to this one a little oh, bit. Wait. How do you distance yourself when someone has a mental health issue and you're the only source of compassion? So a great question. So you can still be compassionate, right? So, it, I mean, so here's just an example. You can still be compassionate. You can be there as a listener. You can be there always as a listener. Um, you, you should ask the person, do they want advice or not, right? If they don't, that's fine. If you're a listener, most of the time in my experience with people who are asking for, or, you know, they're, they, they have a mental health issue. They're asking for something specific that if you give it, you're actually enabling them. So like for yeah. instance, people in addiction, they'll ask you for money. And if you don't give it, you suck and you're terrible and all these things and mental health issue, you have to be really good at being able to not be fully immersed in it. So you can't do it every day and mm -hmm. you have to put boundaries up. I'm sorry. I'm not able to help with that today. Or I'm sorry that you'll, cause you know, it depends on the mental health issue too. I mean, schizophrenia is a little bit different than someone with anxiety. Um, you know, you don't want to enable someone with anxiety. You know, I have kids that will be like, I have to say, I love you. And will you be here after school a hundred times before they, you know, I always tell the parents like, we're going to reduce this down to one time not a hundred, you know, yeah. because so it's, it's a matter of setting your own boundary, knowing what behavioral things to do in those moments. And, and to Mary's question, if there were specific questions, if it was a specific, I'd probably be able to answer that a little bit better, but it's really about the best answer is having a good boundary. Often so, with mental health issues, isn't compassion kind of disqualifies you from helping being compassionate. No, you want to encourage them to find some people. You want to be well, compassionate. You want to be, you want to have empathy. Yeah. So you don't want to have sympathy and there's a difference. Mm -hmm. The sympathy is when people get overly enmeshed and join the person in their, in their shit, right? Because they feel it, they are in it. They feel like you have to fix it. They just don't want to see the person hurting. The person is depending on them to help them. That's the no boundary, right? Or the lack of boundary when you're empathetic and you have empathy, it's, I understand that this person's hurting. I can see it, 
but I'm not going to end up feeling and joining with them. I'm going to say, I love you. And I will, I will help you like with someone who has addiction. It's just easier to talk about this way. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you money. I'm going to buy you the groceries. I'm, you know, hmm. or someone who has a food addiction, I will make you dinner, but I won't give you money to go to McDonald's. Right. So it's like changing <clears throat> your mindset of how to help yep. the person. So with a mental health issue is, I'm, I can talk about anxiety with you or I can sit with you for 20 minutes, but we're not, we're going to do something else. We're going to actually make something else happen. So it just depends on the, on the circumstance of putting that in, but you're, you're, you're going to make sure you do you first, always you first. And mm -hmm. then, and then making sure that you, if you want to be helpful and whatever, then you're an empath to the other person. Faith said she loved the interview with Tammy oh. on Monday. Go find it in videos. Yay. You'll, Thank you. Everyone enjoy it if you haven't seen it. Yes. And really quick update. If you're there, Faith, the littles are so cute. The I saw the littles and the littles are adorable. And I wouldn't own one of those if they were, whew, they're a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> they're, they, and they have a, remember I said they're slinky. She said they're slink, slinky. And I said, oh, they're stinky. Yeah. <laughs> they have a musk about them. Yeah, I would she never, came right out of that. Oh, that was the first thing out of the I gate. I would never <laughs> want in my house or anywhere. They they are cute, but they stink like high heaven. And they, but they're cute. But oh my god, I can only imagine what that woman's house that had them all. Yeah, can like. I can. Oh my god. So um, it was lovely. But thank you, you guys. So thank you for all the questions. It was great. And um, what'd you say? They're adorable, but yeah, no, they are not pets. And they'll bite your face off. They definitely want to attack you. <laughs> oh my God. Well oh, animal. they are. And you can tell. So anyway, you guys, thank you so much. And we will be here next week with a new show and have a great start to your October.